Good morning. Good to be with you again. Last time I was with you, it was either late June or early July, and I was preaching just a little bit at a time through the Apostles' Creed. Guess what? I'm still doing that. So if you've just come for that, welcome back. I don't know if that's you or not, but um, we are going to be looking at the portion of the Creed, and then after the sermon, confessing the Creed that says, I believe in Jesus Christ. His only Son, our Lord. But of course, as in all things we do here at Ascension, we're going to anchor what we're talking about in the Word of God. And so I'm going to read from the Word of God, starting in Colossians 1 and then Philippians 2. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and And invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then looking also from the pen of the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for his help in these next few minutes. Heavenly Father, do please help us. Help me to stand not in my learning, reading efforts, but rather because I know you as Lord and confess you as a son and have received all your benefits. And likewise, to all who are gathered, would you... Send that same Holy Spirit that unites us to you to encounter us afresh from these passages so that our lives might be more reoriented both in their devotion, their hope, and even in our action toward you, Lord Jesus. We can't do this crunching our brow, trying harder. We need a supernatural work of your spirit to happen right now. So we're praying for that. We do ask it in your great name, Jesus. Amen. Tell me if you have heard this phrase before. Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship. And when I was in college, oh, so many years ago, and even as a new Christian, I I said that exact phrase. Now, just kind of as a spoiler alert, those are not actually mutually exclusive. You can have, and in fact, if you are a Christian, you do have both of those, a religion and a relationship. But what is meant, I think, by that phrase at its best is this, that uh, knowing and following God is an encounter with a living being, a person who can know you and who can also be known. A person who can love and also be loved. A person who can show care and also receive worship. It's another way of saying that what it is to be a Christian is not simply or only about true statements that we affirm. 
propositions that we confess. But the core of reality for those who are Christians is a person. A person who is divine, a person who is human. And at the center of the Apostles' Creed, which is a religious document for a community to confess together in worship and liturgy, at the center of the creed, we affirm this, that attachment to Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah of God, is the hub of our life, is the hub of our confession and experience as Christians. The Christian religion is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ at the middle of it. There's another way to get at it. And that's really even how the creed, the Apostles' Creed, is structured. And here's the question that we're going to be asking ourselves in humility before the Word of God this morning. How, if, if Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus, how do we stand in relation to Jesus Christ? What shapes, what defines, what gives substance to this relationship that we're talking about with Jesus? How is it that we share in Christ's life, individually and as a religious community? Well, the creed anchored in Scripture, some of the Scriptures that we have read, says who Jesus is makes a difference in how you understand yourself, how you understand and act in your relationship to God and how you live in the world. And so we're going to just look at two things that are going to give shape to how we understand our relationship with God this morning. And you can guess them. First is Jesus is Lord. And then the second thing we're going to look at very briefly is that Jesus is God's unique or God's only son. All right. So let's let's jump in there thinking about Jesus is Lord. Now, when we say that Jesus is Lord, it's not just some minor title like Lord or Lady in British uh, royalty, right? With some limited authority. It's not just one of several lords. Like, you know, they have a house of lords and there's tons of them and they have their own little fiefdoms. Rather, when we hear Lord, we should understand it to mean something like king, sovereign, chief. Lord is the supreme one, the supreme person you give allegiance to, that you devote yourself to, that you submit to. The the Lord is like the sun around which we orbit, and it calls for absolute deference and submission and trust to the Lord. Another way to put it is how Paul puts it in Colossians 1.17, that a Lord is one He is one who is before all things. He is prior. He is first order in our commitments. Now, here's a quick question that I, you know, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to engage with your minds on this as we go through, because I'm going to focus on one thing. But here's this question. Is there for you someone or something in your life? Maybe you wouldn't call Lord, but really functions as a Lord as we've just defined it. Someone or something that comes before all things in terms of your devotion, love, and allegiance. That isn't Jesus. Or maybe it's something like safety, right? We've already just been primed a little bit from Joe about safety. And so is, is safety your Lord? And so as a result, you retreat from the world. You retreat from other people because you just want to keep them at a safe distance so you're not harmed. 
or maybe, and this is punching a little bit closer into my territory, is what functions for you as Lord, your children, right? You just, you, they, and, and instead of Jesus being the sun, they're kind of the sun around which you orbit. Or maybe comfort is your Lord. And so you work all the time so you can have enough money so you can provide the quality of life that you want that makes you comfortable. Or maybe it's status. And so you exercise all the time to be seen as someone who is strong and beautiful and alluring. What is the Lord for you? I want you to roll with that question and think about it. And it could be any number of things, but I'm just going to focus on one particular thing uh, this morning because Eric asked me to come here and meddle. No, he didn't. I just take that on myself. But I'm going to focus on politics because that's actually where this passage would land and where Paul would land when you're talking about Jesus as Lord. Why is that? Well, in the first century context of the Roman Empire, to say something audacious, and it was audacious, like Jesus is Lord, is also saying something without saying it. And it's mainly this. Jesus is Lord and Caesar ain't Lord. He is not the king. Now, that's a pretty important confession at that time, because in Rome in the first century, what was required for good social order, what was required for you to keep a status as a good citizen was to say and publicly mean that most fundamentally for you, that the highest devotion and hope for you in your life was that Caesar provided for you, that the Roman ruler was, in fact, the curios, the Lord. And see, the belief established then was that Caesar was the last word. It wasn't even just the belief. It it was the practice. It was reality. It was true. Caesar was the last word on what you did with your body. Do you go to war or not as a soldier? How do you uh, express yourself in worship? Well, you better bend a knee to him. Caesar was the last word also for what you did with your words. You had to confess Caesar is Lord And where your hope for peace and security was settled. So when Paul says, and the other authors of the New Testament say multiple times as they do, Christos, Kurios, Christ is Lord, Jesus is Lord, that was moving Christianity into the realm of beyond the private and personal into the explicitly political. You were saying you had a higher allegiance. My grandfather, as you can probably tell, I'm from Texas. My grandfather's from Texas. I grew up there. And he told me a story about a former president of the United States who was from Texas also, Lyndon Baines Johnson. I'm not sure if this story is true or not, but just just what I know about LBJ, it just seems like it has to be true. And uh, while uh, President Johnson was uh, in his tenure as president, he also had a ranch outside of Austin. And he would, uh, he would just go down there to retreat, to retire, to recuperate. But he also had this Cadillac. And he just liked to go blowing around on the country roads outside. And this is back when, uh, you know, the, 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 the threats were just not as pronounced. And so he would just take off without Secret Service or whatever and just go blowing around. Well, one time he was blowing down a country road and he was pulled over by a Department of Public Safety officer who didn't know it was the President of the United States. And he pulled him over. And as he approached the car, he saw that it was Lyndon Baines Johnson, the President of the United States, 
and it, this was just a young DPS officer, and he said, oh, my God. And Johnson said, and don't you forget it. And then he took off in the Cadillac and left him behind. Now, look, I tell you that story because politicians might think of themselves as close to divine because of their responsibility and the power they have. But as Christians, we know that their power is limited. It is not ultimate. And in fact, is only given through the King of Kings himself, Jesus. So I want to ask you this morning, as we head into what's probably going to just be a gross political season, are you feeling the burn? Are you biding time for Biden? Stick with me. Or are you playing that Trump card? There is a real sense, I don't care where you land on that. And I don't care, but I want you to hear this, that you should care. None of those are God's anointed. None of those are God's Messiah. In fact, Christians with a deep love for Jesus as their ultimate Lord are going to disagree about the best candidate to support or not to support at all, to just not vote. And they're going to do so for different reasons based on deep Christian conviction looking at their present circumstances. No party, no candidate has a lock on Christian social practice. None of them check all of the boxes that line up with the teaching of the New Testament on issues of life and love for neighbor. And for sure, no candidate or party is before Christ. Jesus is Lord. The Jesus who forgives 70 times 7 is Lord. The Jesus of Colossians 1 who created heavens and earth and receives everything from the Father is the Lord. He is our Lord. And He shapes how we go about looking at and interacting as citizens. And Jesus is Lord not just because of His power and creation and His authority over the church and His sending of the Spirit, But we worship Him as Lord first and alone and together with other Christians who might disagree with us on politics because, as Colossians 1.20 says, He has made peace through the blood of the cross. He is the one who provides safety and hope in our life for salvation. He has reconciled us to the Father and He does so because He is unique as the only Son of God. Of God, which leads us, leads me, excuse me, to the second point, and it's this: if we looked at Jesus as Lord and what that means for how we think about lords in this world, the second point is this: Jesus is God's only. Jesus is God's unique Son. Well, how is Jesus God's only Son? Well, in Scripture, Jesus is the only one to receive and inherit from the Father the name well-pleasing son. Remember in Matthew chapter 3 at the baptism of Jesus, God speaks into that situation and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well-pleased. Jesus is the only one who receives the title king and lord. And as we see in Philippians 2, the name above every name from God himself. And Jesus is the only one who receives the inheritance as the firstborn of creation. He receives the inheritance of the cosmos the world. You see, Jesus' son gets 
what is God's alone, the title Lord and the possession of everything. And it's another way of saying, and this is almost another sermon for another time, but it bears worth saying, all of this is another way of saying, if God alone, if God the Father is the only one who has rights to all that stuff, and Jesus gets it, then mystery of mysteries, somehow Jesus, in a way that's not explained, but only affirmed, Jesus is fully divine too. And Jesus as the divine Son does what only the Son can. The will of the Father. He has this unique mission of accomplishing the purpose of God, which is what? Well, we read about it in Colossians. To reconcile the world. To bring forgiveness of sins. To bring the blessing of the Holy Spirit. The renewal in the world of justice and mercy through His people. Those who bear the name Christian. And Jesus has the mission to display the purpose and the glory of God. But you see, Jesus didn't, by doing all that stuff, he didn't earn the right to become the Son of God. He didn't just suddenly become the Son because he achieved this through God's program after fulfilling his mission on life of the death and resurrection. Jesus, and this is important for our understanding of ourselves and how we live in the world because we are connected to Jesus. Jesus has eternally existed as the Son of God. And this is what the Bible and this is what the creed means when it says that Jesus is the only begotten Son. That Jesus has eternally existed in this relationship with the Father as God also. And see, Jesus even talks about this right before He goes to the cross. Uh, In in, in John chapter 17, He he has this this time of prayer with the Father and we're privileged in Scripture to hear these things that are on Jesus' heart. And He talks so much about the Trinity of all things. Listen to what He says in verse 5. He says, And now, Father, glorify Me in Your own presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. That relationship is prior to the creation of all things. John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, who you have given me, talking about his people, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me here because you did what? You loved me when? Before the foundation of the world. Forever. Jesus has existed in a relationship of love with the Father as the Son. And with the Spirit too. That's another sermon, another part of the creed, another time. Forever as Son, now listen to this, Jesus has reflected back to the Father gratitude and love. He has received from the Father love and affection and sonship. And what that means is that love didn't start after God created stuff, God is love and it is a con- constitutive of his being. It is a part of his essence. It is in, if God had DNA, that would be his DNA is love. And hear this now because this is now where we're circling about what it means that we are sons and daughters, children of God too. Archbishop of Canterbury, Ron Williams, puts it like this as God the Son, Jesus acts as God. Not just when he shows power, not just when he shows force, not just when he takes initiative, not when he's just getting stuff done, right? That's a part of it, but that's not not only it.
But he also expresses and shows and acts as God when he speaks lovingly back to the Father. When he submits what his human nature fears to the Father, he is also acting as God. And see, what sets the Christian faith apart most decisively from even our closest relatives, Islam and Judaism, is this picture of the divine life. Jesus relating to the Father by receiving as well as giving. In Jesus depending on the Father as well as controlling things in the world. And it means, among other things, and this is important for how we relate to one another, it even ties to what Joe said in the very beginning of the service. It means, among other things, that we humans who live in relationships where we are both givers and receivers, both depending and controlling, can share in the life of God in every aspect of what we are. What do we mean? This. We are no less God's image when we acknowledge our dependence or when we offer thanks and gratitude than when we are making decisions or doing things for one another in love. In other words, we are modeling back the image of God when we receive a gift as well as when we do something gracious. Being in a place of dependence is not shameful, but somehow it reflects God's own life in Christ. And that's why, for example, we include children in the sacrament of baptism. It's not just that they have to come forward and do some kind of performative thing, like simply confess, but they are receiving God's grace even before they could make a demand for it or see it. It, it There's something about God's goodness and God's love and His blessing that we see in this very principle. We started talking about a personal relationship. Well, that's where I want us to land this morning. You know what? The ones who become the I in the creed, the ones who can confess the creed, I believe, the ones who can be called sons of God, are not the ones who can make themselves great by their own effort, by their own strength, but rather who receive a gift, who come as a little child to God, who are thankful who submit their wills to the Father in receiving salvation. Quite simply, it's about seeing your need and asking for help. Do you see your need? Have you asked for help? Because you see, the great privilege of knowing Jesus the Son as Lord is that you get to, by faith, stand in the place of Jesus as the privileged and adopted Son who inherits the name, inherits the blessing, and inherits access to God the Father. Why? Because you see that Jesus has stood in your place of receiving judgment for the sin of your resistance, your rebellion, and your move toward death. Come to the Son. Know Him as Lord. He invites you. Let's pray.